Hey, so we're making our way through First Thessalonians. If you if you want to turn to turn there, uh, we're looking at it be, kind of in light of the story of, of Paul's time there. We're calling it God, the Gospel, in three weeks. What a what a big God can do with a little time. We know about the three weeks part because over in the book of Acts, it tells the story of a lot of Paul's trips, and you find out when when a lot of these letters were written. So. Today in 1 Thessalonians, starting in chapter 2, in verse 17, I'm going to make our way actually through all of chapter 3. There's one, one thought that goes on there. I want to look at that, this in light of, you know, people that you know that just really seem to be people of influence, not, not political or, you know, monetary influence, but just people that they just seem to affect people. They just seem to be really good at helping people grow or cha- change or, or break through. You know, we all know people that have gifts in counseling. They would fit into this. They just, they come alongside people and people are, are changed. They're, they're influenced, you know. And of course, we're thinking about spiritually. They're influenced for Jesus and where that is. And before we go in that direction of, oh, some people are just gifted at that or they have the right personality for that, but it's not me or they know more than I do. That's the calling on all of us, really. That's the great commission that Jesus has left to all of us to make disciples, to to meet people who don't know Jesus and help them come to know him so they become a disciple or meet someone who knows Jesus and help them make progress in that. So this calling to change people's lives or to be used in God's changing people's lives, that's on all of us. And so it's important that we don't just kind of write that off or leave that to others or the professionals or people that know the Bible or whatever whatever other blanks we would put in there. We probably can all agree that the Apostle Paul was one of those people, that people were changed when he was around or when he had time with them. But again, we can't go in that direction of, well, he was an apostle or he really knew the Old Testament and he knew what he was doing and he had this crazy boldness. He was just who he was because there are people that, that have titles and that have degrees and can speak really well that will travel different places and not really affect anybody. So Paul, he had those things, but where he went, there was just change. There were changes that happened. And Thessalonians, that's, that's a case of people whose lives were just totally changed. They were flipped upside down. We've seen in the, in the opening chapter from what he found when he got there to when he left just a couple of weeks later. So I want to look at this passage because I think it helps us understand how does that work? If you want to be used by God to change people's lives, what does that look like? Or what is it you might have to step into? And I think these are the verses that, that speak to that. So I want to start reading in chapter 2 and verse 17, and then as I said through chapter 3, he says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for, for a short time, in person and not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, 
I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what's lacking in your faith. And now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and in, in abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless and in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Yeah, just you get, a, you get a sense of his heart, you get a sense of his connection with the Thessalonians, you get a sense of the story that had gone on there. And so I want to I jump into that. We've watched this, this church as a case of what happens when the gospel really works, when it works the way that it's supposed to work. And you find that, that, that a lot of times that happens in, in, in a moment like this, that people who leave people changed jump into people's stories and bring the gospel story. That that's really what's going on. That if you want to change people, if you want God to use you in people's lives, you've got to jump into their lives. You've got to get close enough to know and to, to be trusted and to, to bring something. And, and that all you have to bring that person is the gospel story what the gospel truth is, what the gospel has done to you, what the gospel is offering. We, we talked and we sung about the promises. That's what usually is the dynamic that's going on there. And it starts when people matter to you, that people need to matter to you if God's going to use you to change people. And I realized yesterday that I was using this word matter, and that's a hot word in our culture right now, and so I'm not at all intending to to get into that. I, I spoke to that a few weeks ago. I understand all lives matter, and they do. All lives around the world matter, which is why we want to be part of what God's doing worldwide. And understand that in, this, in our culture at this particular moment, yeah, that, that especially young black men, their lives are more in danger than the average young man. I understand that. And, and that's something we, we've got to pray that our God just steps into that because as we all look across the scene, the political scene, there's not a solution there's just it's just being used and exploited and and you can agree with you can agree with that that need and that issue but then organizations that get involved are far from resolving what the issue is so we're just talking about every person mattering to you that god is going to orchestrate around your life who it is he knows he can use you for 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 whatever their next step needs to be but those people, they have to matter to you if that's ever going to take place. So when you, read, when you read this letter, you get a very clear sense that these people matter to Paul. He's not a professional missionary. He's not, what's our next stop? Well, our next stop, Paul, is Thessalonica. It's an important city. It's on the seacoast. This is what the makeup is. This is the demographics. So this, you probably want to use your, your number three message for them. Okay, we'll do that. And then how long are we there? And hey, make sure they have our, our want list. He was not at all that way. He just went in. His, his, typical, his typical mode for going in, as you know, in the book of Acts, he'd go to the synagogue because he figured at least there you have people that know the start of the story. They know the Old Testament so they can kind of get the gospel, hit the ground running. So that's where he would start until they kicked him out of there. 
he goes to Philippi and there's not enough Jewish men to have a synagogue. And so he goes down to the river where, where tradition says he would go to pray to the one true God. And so that's where he starts there. So he's not a person that just, he, he, I come in, here's what I do, and I'm gone. He kind of comes into a city, knows where he's going to start, and then it's, God, what do, you, what do you want us to do next? And so he gets very involved. He gets very heart entwined with them. Since we were torn away from you. That's how he looks at those three weeks. I was reading again this morning in Acts 17. Paul goes to Thessalonica, tells us that he's there three Sabbaths. At the end of three Sabbaths, the Jewish leaders get jealous of all of these people who are starting to follow the new message. And so they get a mob of people and they go to this person named Jason's house that they know is associated with Paul and they drag him out and it's almost a riot and they bring him down to, the, they bring him down to City Hall or wherever and pay a fine and let him go. And Jason goes right back to the house and says, we got to get Paul out of here. And so they talk Paul into leaving. That's, that's how Paul looks at this. When we were torn away from you, we didn't get a chance to have a goodbye. We didn't have a chance to meet for a last day and give you what you needed to know. We were just ripped out. That's the word they would use for orphans, where you've got parents and you're supposed to have parents and then all of a sudden you don't have parents. That's the word that he uses to describe how it, where his heart is with them. So we were torn away from you. And, and, and he says... In person, not in heart. I want you to know my heart is still in Thessalonica. And he could say my heart is still in Berea, in Philippi, in Corinth, in Athens, in the Galatian area. In all these places where he'd been, he just left parts of his heart. You know, it, it, should, it should stink when people leave. As excited as I am, you know, that Andy's going on his next season, clearly God is in it. Clearly it's a good gift match for her. I mean, if you know Annie and you hear she wants to go into art therapy, you just think, yeah, that's good. You know, those goodbyes, they stink, but they're good. It's good that they stink. You know, I remember when, when I was talking to the guy that mentored me when we were getting ready to leave our church in Maine and come here, just telling him, uh, it just feel like, I remember after last Sunday, I said, I feel like somebody's died. You know, it hurts that much. And he said, that's a good sign. If you could just walk away and smiling and waving, there'd be something wrong. So... If you've been on a missions trip, however long, however short, when you have to come home, that terrible feeling, that's a good feeling. That's a good sign that something's happened in you, that these people have, have begun to matter to you after a week or 10 days or two weeks or a month, however long you've been there. That's a good sign that people matter to you. That's what happened to him. Hey, we're still there. I want you to know my heart is still in Thessalonica. You know, there's part of my heart. I'll think of at different times for places that we've been and you wonder, how are the people there doing? That's, what, that's how he's feeling. Look at these words that he piles on there. We endeavored eagerly and with great desire. We wanted to come. Uh, verse 19, what's our hope or joy of crown of boasting? What's our show and tell if it's not you guys? You know, that's how we think of you is that, boy, we can't wait to get to God and then tell him about, and Thessalonica, let us tell you when we were in Thessalonica, God, and Jason, and this person, and this person. They, he, he looks at them as kind of his show and tell. What am I going to bring in? What am I going to bring to you that will tell you these things? This pretty cool thing that's going on in, in our home. So our son Joel does show and tell with our grandchildren, with Bella and Luke, on FaceTime. They'll do these things, and they have, you know, they have these 
ridiculous things that they show Joel that, you know, are so, I don't know, whatever, you know. This is a piece of spaghetti, Uncle Jojo. And, and then he surprised them with wanting to show and tell them some things, you know. And so he bought them this singing teapot kind of thing. They just leaned in so close to the, tea, to the phone to get a look at that thing. And what is that? Look at this thing that I have to show you. That's kind of how he's looking at the Thessalonians. That you are so special to me that I can't wait to, to show you off to God my joy and crown and hope. That's how, that's how deeply they matter to him. So you have, you have those things that go on. When we could bear it no longer, he says at the beginning of chapter 3, you get this sense of how closely tied he was to them. That he, he not only did what he needed to do, but he let his heart get involved. Some of you need to hear that because you used to step into people's lives at a much deeper level and get involved. And the danger there is, because we're constantly dealing with sinners, is that your heart is going to get wounded in those things. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be misunderstood, all of those things. And so some of you have taken the safety step back of, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that as deeply or as often. But that's ministry. And Paul, part of what would happen to him is they would involve sticks and stones or jails or or beatings and all of those things, and he would just show up in the next place with his heart wide open because he just knew this is what God wanted him to do, and he knew that God was blessing it, and he knew at the end of the day that people mattered to God. I love when, when Jesus tells the story of you know the lost coin and uh, the lost sheep and the lost son, the prodigal son. You know, He starts that because they said to him, why does he associate with sinners? And I know I mentioned this, but I just, I, whenever I think of that, I'm going to remember one time when Pastor Ted was sharing on that, and he had some translation that said, why do you hang out with riffraff? That the Pharisees, they got everything straight except that people mattered. They had all the rules down, and they had what God wanted down, but they did not have down how important people were to God. And so Jesus tells them these three stories. And, and I, remember hearing, uh, I remember hearing someone put that together and saying, boy, out of that story is the sense that there is something valuable that's lost. Sheep's valuable to the shepherd, the coin is valuable to the woman, and the son was so valuable to the father. And that's what Jesus is trying to make the point of, that people are valuable to God, that they matter to God. And so in your story, your story is a story of how much you matter to God. Some of you... You were just out there. You weren't religious. You weren't brought up in a religious home at all. You were just out there, and God carved a path to you. Or some of you, you were so religious, but you were in the wrong religion. You were in a works religion, because really, it's only Christianity that has a grace religion, has a grace approach. And so you were trying your hardest, and God found a way to cut through to you that that was not going to be enough. Some, some of us who wrestled with the fact that, I think I'm doing enough, I think I'm good enough, Boy, he found a way to cut us off there. And others of us that were working hard, but we just knew it's still not enough. It's still not enough. He found a way of meeting you there because you matter to him. Your story and the uniqueness of your story is a reflection of how much you matter to him. And if you matter to him, then you should matter to us because that's, that's where we see going on here. If you want to be used by God to see people change, they have to know that they matter to you. You know, you, hear, you always hear that phrase, and it's been around for, 
forever, probably that one. People don't care what you know till they know that you care. Isn't that so true? If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you know what you need to do? Part of your brain is going to go in the, who are you? And do you care? Do you even care about me? Or are you just looking to flash how much you know or whatever? You're just one of those people. Yeah. People need to know that you care. And so let's press into that a little bit. When you look across this family that God has called you into, this Cottage Hill Church family, who matters to you here? Who matters to you enough to, to step into their life? Or who matters to you enough to, to speak or to share or whatever that is? So you ought to have some names coming. To, hey, these are the people God's been putting in my life or connecting, and they ought to be changing. If you have, oh, these are the people that matter to me, and it's the same people that have mattered to you for the last 10 years, then there's something wrong there. Because God is constantly shifting up and shaking up who, who should be in your circle. If you're newer here, you know, how are we doing and making you feel as though you matter to us? You know, whether you want to respond back, you know, I would appreciate getting response back either to, through my email or through the website. How are we doing in making you feel as though you matter? Because we want you to matter. You know, we know that, that one of the next great servants at Cottage Hill could have come in in the last three weeks. You know, we want to be, we want to have that approach where <clears throat> the people that are newest to us matter as much as those of you that have been here and been so faithful. So... If God's going to use you to change people, it's going to be because they matter to you. If he's going to use you to change people, it's because they matter so much that you do something. Not just that you're praying for them, and that's doing something, I get that. But it's easy for us to talk about how much we love people, how much they matter to us, and then not do anything. Someone prayed yesterday in, in one of the sessions out of James that faith has to have works. And those confessions of how much you matter to me, they have to be followed up by action. So he says in, at the beginning of chapter 3, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we did something. You know, when we couldn't take it any longer. He says that he kept trying to get there. He says up in verse 17, chapter 2, we endeavored more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. You know, I, Paul, again and again, that he made several efforts, at least two, to get back to Thessalonica. And, and yet God closed the door, or as he points out, but Satan hindered us. Because that's, that's a for sure. If, if you're asking God to use you in the lives of other people, Satan is going to get in the way of that. That's what he does. He's going to hinder it. It's an interesting word. It's a word uh, that armies would use. If you were running away from an army and you were being pursued, you would dig these huge trenches so they would have a hard time getting all of their equipment over that, and you'd slow them down, or you would tear up the road. If they had cobblestone roads, you would just rip up all the roads. You know, remember in World War II, the movies I grew up watching, or the reality, they would blow up bridges so that they would, they would just delay the onslaught. And that's the word Paul uses here. We were trying to get back to you. Satan just kept getting in our way. So you do need to know that if you come away from a message like this with... God, you know, I want to be used in people's lives. I want you to use me to, to, for people's growth. Satan's going to get in the way of that, either with them or with you. Hey, haven't you all seen that you try to set up a time to get with somebody you're burdened about and you keep finding things getting in the way of even setting up a common time, finding something, or you set up that time up and something comes up out of the way. 
the evil one is going to step in the, in, the, in the way of this because he doesn't want to see people saved. He doesn't want to see people's lives changed. You just have to understand that's him and not lose heart and continue to pursue it. And so you do something when people matters. And so he did something radical. Timothy, he's waiting for Timothy to come back. He left, he left Thessalonica. They go down to Berea. The Thessalonians find out he's in Berea. They drive to Berea and they, they drive him out of there. So he leaves Timothy and Silas in Berea and goes down. He ends up in Athens, which is where he is when he's reading, writing this letter. But he sends instructions back. He wants Titus to go up to Macedonia, probably back up to Philippi. And he wants Timothy to go back to Thessalonica. He does that radical thing that the two people that he needs the most, he sends away. That he does something that's going to cost him and delay what he wants to do next. So he sends Timothy back and he says in Philippians, you know, I have nobody else like him who is concerned for you. Everyone else is concerned, concerned about their own interests. But Timothy, as a son working with his father, is only concerned about the gospel. So he did that radical thing because he knew the risk. He says, I was really worried about you. He says, you know, in verse 5, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. He understood in verse 3 that there were those afflictions, that they were living in the very place that drove him out. And so he understood the risk. He understood what was, what was going on in Thessalonica. He understood how Satan works, that the tempter might have tempted you. That's what he does. He is a tempter, and so that's what he does. He's constantly tempting. He's tempting you. He's constantly tempting all of us. In Thessalonica, are you sure this is worth it? Wasn't your life better off before you met Paul? Wasn't your life better off before you, went, before you gave it to Jesus? Are you sure you have to be this public? Are you sure you have to be this radical? Are you sure all of those things that are just temptations to give up that would make Paul feel like we went there and we invested and there's no long-term fruit? So he understood what was going on. When people matter to you, you understand the risks that's in front of them the risk they may have of giving up, the risk they may have of, of relapsing to those, to those many of you whose story involve recovery, the risk that might be involved of their, getting, uh, their being led astray, Pastor Ted's verse in Hebrews, be led astray by another doctrine, that you didn't get enough time to, to, to invest the word in them, so they may be led astray. When people matter to you, you understand what makes them vulnerable. And so you do something with that. You have to do something because you're just, you understand how vulnerable they are and where they are. You do something. You do something radical and something that, because you understand the risk, you got to do something real too. Because in our day, we can send an email. I was really, you, you know, hey, have you seen this person? Have you, yeah, they really matter to me. So what did you do? I sent an email. And of course, we know nobody reads email. <laughs> I messaged them on Facebook. I sent him a, I posted a Bible verse on their thing. And hey, Bible verses have tremendous power. But do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we do these little things when God is calling us to do something much bigger, much more inconvenient. When people matter to you, you do something. If he's going to use you to change people's lives, it's going to be because you're willing to do something. And then you kind of, you kind of see that. This point kind of overflows over the last one, but I wanted to call attention to it. When people matter, their condition matters to you. How they're doing, what they're doing, that matters, and it affects you. So he says, but now Timothy's come back with this really good news, and look at how it affects Paul. He says, um, 
in verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us the good news of your faith and love, that those two things are solid, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you. Even though we're still going through it wherever we go through it, the fact that you're doing okay, that comforts us. And watch how he's going to keep talking about it. For now we live in verse 8. I think it's the NIV that says, for now we really live. Now I can really be okay if you're okay, if you're standing fast in the Lord. In verse 9, for, for what thanksgiving? I'm just so thankful because I've heard how good you are. Can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? That, that affected him. He was thankful in the midst of what he's going through. He had joy. He was comforted. He, he knew that his labor there had been worthwhile and that they were going to be okay. You know, when people matter to you, their condition matters to you. How they're doing. There's a heart tie there. The, that's the, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. That's because there's that heart tie and because people matter. Yeah, and then finally this last thing you see when he starts to pray. There's always more to do. There is always more to do in you, in, in other people. The Thessalonians, whew, you're safe. But Paul, there's more for him to do. And so he says in verse 10, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what's lacking in your faith. That's not lacking in a, in a you know, hey, where, why are you so delayed? And in Hebrews, Paul says to them, or the writer of Hebrews says, you know, you should be teachers by now, but you're not. That's lacking on the Hebrew side. This is just lacking on, hey, we want to give you the next step of what you're ready for, which is really all we're trying to do is help people get the next step of, of what God has for them. So I'm praying that God will give us that opportunity. And then he, he prays those resources. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. Hey, can I just step to the side and say, this is one of these places in the Bible where it refers to Jesus and God on the same plane. It's not talking about two different people. This is a place that just speaks that they're equal. You don't talk about, you know, you would never say, now may our God and Father herself and Jeff Chandler, you would never put them, I know you would never put them, but somebody might. <laughs> you know, you'd never put them on the same plane. But over and over in Scripture, you find them referred to the same, which just reinforces the fact, you know, if you're talking to people that, that say, as there's this new modern heresy that the New Testament writers never intended for Jesus to be worshipped as God. That was a later done by the church. It's right here. And this is one of the many places that do that. So may God direct our way to you. You know, we want to get back there. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He's just praying all of these resources that God has for them. To, to go to the next level. We're going to see in a couple of weeks, he's constantly talking about their love and constantly tell them to love more. But do you also notice that he's talking about their church, your love for one another, but then always outside of their church and for all. That those people that hate you in Thessalonica, they need to know that you care about them. Those people that have different lifestyles than we have, they need to know that we care about them. Those people that have made some terrible life choices that are far from what God has, they need to know we care about them. I mean, that's what he says. 
your love may increase for one another and for all, as we do, that he would establish, establish your hearts as blameless, that you constantly be growing and doing what you need to do and not doing what you shouldn't be doing. And all of that with a view to the coming of Jesus. So you have this verse like you see in First John. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of, father, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? And so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children. And what we are, will, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we should be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he's pure. You know, those New Testament writers, they kept pointing to the fact that Jesus was coming and that we needed to, we need to be ready for that. We need to be as ready as we, as, as we could be in that, that there was that sense with the Thessalonians, there's always more to do, and there will always be more to do until the coming of Jesus with the saints, until that moment when he comes, and then you're done. You're going to be perfect at that moment? No, but I hope you're on schedule with that moment, and I hope that God's using you in, in, up until that moment. That's what this is. This is what our calling is. Our calling is to be used by God in the lives of other people, people that need to know Jesus as Savior and then people like us that have found him that just need to keep growing, keep needing to become effective and people that get discouraged and need to have people come alongside. That's what church is. Church is a place where people who matter invest in people who matter and we do that. There again is that sentence that I mentioned. You've got to bring that sentence if it's you, but that's not how I do the Christian life. This is how I do the Christian life. You know, you've got to bring that to this because that, this is how the Christian life is, is done. So, and you have so much more to bring than you realize. So I'm going to do the communion moment just to, to, together, you know. This, we have this cup because you mattered enough to God and he, and he found a way to get you to salvation. And so... If you weren't with us last month, we, we understand, you know, the thing about the, the little wafer and whatever. This is, at this moment, it's the safest way for us to, to remember this moment, this powerful moment. And so you lift that top little layer off and you get the little wafer. Good. Good. And you mattered enough that Jesus allowed his body to be broken for you. So, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for that. And for whatever reason, I find if you tilt the cup back a little bit, it tends not to, you tend not to get that little splatter at the beginning. Yeah. And you mattered enough that even though the principle was the shedding of blood, it says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You mattered enough that Jesus would let them do to him what, they, what he let them do to them. He let, he let them do that because you mattered. 
and, and so that you could be saved. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the blood that really, like Pastor Ted was saying, has put an end to all of our work because of the work that you did. Thank you that it forgave us and introduced us into this life of grace. And thanks for this cup and leaving us a reminder of that. And Father, just, we just open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit to show us ways to communicate that people matter to us, make ourselves available to you, show us, God, you know, who it is you have for us, to be, whose life it is you have for us to step into and to be part of the change. Who do you have to be part of the change you want to do in me, God, Cindy and I, or, or whoever that is? Just direct our way and direct our steps to that so the Spirit can be fully active at Cottage Hill the way you want. And especially that the Spirit can be fully active into people that don't know Jesus who will become part of the Cottage Hill family or part of the Church of Jesus in Springfield. We make ourselves available to you. Take away all of our reasons and all of our anxieties and use us in powerful ways. Pray that to your glory and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.